Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Welcome. Hope it's well. (laughs) Is is everybody okay out there? Alan and I are a little nervous. We're using a script for the first time in a few weeks. (laughs) We've forgotten how this goes. But don't worry. That means it's going to be a well-organized, if extremely anxious, program. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Baltimoreans, the show that's happy to have you tuned in. Because like U.S. Senator and presumptive Republican presidential candidate Rand Paul, we don't believe that any podcast is required listening. Uh, Most of them ought to be voluntary. We've got a fantastic show for you this evening, folks. In just a bit, we're going to devote a significant portion of our airtime to Travis Snyder, which we feel is only fair considering that the Orioles have decided to devote a significant (laughs) portion of their outfield to him in 2015. We'll speak to Mike Petriello, who recently wrote a piece for Fangraphs suggesting that the situation may not be as dire as we fear. We'll also check in with our good friend Ben Mastin, live from the state that's shaped like a stake and was, until recently, governed by one, (laughs) Texas. Ben, who longtime listeners to the program will know, is the only Yankee fan we've ever met who doesn't make us want to hack into his medical records and make Rand Paul the only physician who takes his insurance, will share his perspective on the Yankees' oddly practical offseason and what that might mean for the AL East in 2015. Of course... No episode of Baltimoreans would be complete without our most popular recurring segment, the Nelson Cruz Franchise Report. Now, come on, stop crying. Stop. Look, I know we let the guy who led the majors in home runs last year walk and replaced him with, well, technically nothing so far. But let's not forget <laughs> that from June through August last season, Nelly batted 214 with an on base percentage of 283. That's three months of roughly David Lowe-level production from left field. So it's not like it's going to feel that different in 2015 when we get six months of David (laughs) Lowe-level production in left field from uh, probably David Lowe. And speaking of low-level production, we wouldn't want you to assume that the quality level of this program is at all representative of the entire Baltimore Sports Report network, of which we're a proud member alongside our sister-wife podcasts. Now, folks, this week here in the northeastern United States, we had a winter storm that the pundits were warning was going to be the worst on record. In practice, however, while it did technically cripple our infrastructure for longer than you'd like, we've mostly emerged unscathed, and now we find ourselves cautiously making our way forward once again. I don't know about you, but I'm hoping we'll eventually be able to use the exact words I just said to describe the (laughs) Orioles' winter of 2014. But truthfully, I just don't feel like I can get that perspective on it right now. Thankfully, my esteemed colleague Alan Smith is here, as always, to provide exactly that. All right. We are here on episode 117, Sam, which coincidentally is the number of types of different promotional races that have been featured around the minor leagues and major leagues since the introduction of the classic kielbasa sausage race that happens at every Milwaukee Brewers home game. The classic event, of course, features such Hall of Famers as Brett Wurst, 
Frankie Furter, Guido the Italian Sausage, and Zico the Sombrero-Wearing Chorizo, but it's been an inspiration for 117 other gag, goof, and giggle races around baseball since early 1990. Those include the well-known, the running of the presidents, the racing of four-wheelers, the great pierogi race, giant beer cans, and the running of the ground crews in Oakland to cover the upper decks when the A's can't sell enough home tickets. They include the less famous, racing cereals, Speedy, the gently racist Chinese delivery items, the Great Bagel Race. Really, this features Blueberry Bob, Asiago Alley, and Cinnamon Crunch Cindy. Three colored dots who run around in Texas. A collection of tools from Home Depot. And the annual race to hire a new manager of the Miami Marlins. They include the ridiculous. The running of the goats, an event in Tuscaloosa which imitates the fine bull traditions of Spain. Metro PCS's five-bar race to AT&T brought to you by Sprint. The Taco Bell hot sauce races. The Race of Tears, which, as an Oklahoma tradition, is exactly as tasteful as you are imagining it. And something ominously entitled the Eyeball Race, which you would be fortunate enough to see if you ever attended a Lakewood Blue Claws game. And they include the Sublime. The Great Philosophers Think Off, featuring Hume, Kant, Descartes, Aristotle, and Lao Tzu, and no running, just riding on trains of thought. Crazy Ed's Crazy Crustacean Crawl. The San Antonio's AA affiliate The Mission hold a rehab race featuring Needle Exchange Ned, Beth Amphetamine, Nick Oteen, and Probation Officer Bill. And I swear to God this one is real Baltimoreans. The Class A advanced affiliate The Stockton Ports has a race that, fittingly for the San Joaquin Valley region's agricultural heritage, involves three types of asparagus. Green, fried, and chocolate. Now that is just a smattering Baltimoreans of the amazing race options available at baseball stadiums across this great country. There are 117 different races that have been run since 1990, but if you have a race that you love to watch when you go to the park, or that you'd like to see in the future, anything from the ridiculous to the sublime, tweet it at us. At bmorons, or send us an email at baltimoreonspodcast at gmail.com and we'll read our favorite race entries for you next week. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Nelson Cruz Franchise Report, where each week we debate the most pressing news items in all of sport. Did you watch the World this year? I did not. Didn't watch any of it. I, I admittedly woke up on Sunday and took to the internet, as I often do when I first wake up, and thought, oh, yeah, the Super Bowl is tonight. Do you know who won? I do know that the New England Patriots emerged victorious. Which is true. And in so doing... The New England Patriots, I think, probably sealed the debate, launching Tom Brady, the quarterback, into the greatest of all time conversation. Really? I think he is now uh, – uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a short list between Brady, Joe Montana, um, 
that might be it. Those, I know, I know those some are... other quarterback names: Warren Moon, <laughs> Mark Rippon. <laughs> I'm gonna run out soon. He's definitely in the conversation as one of the great, great players of all time. Now, if you watch the game, you would know that the game ended because of an interception thrown by Russell Wilson, the Seattle quarterback, instead of handing the ball off to Marshawn Lynch from the one-yard line to score the game-winning touchdown. The ultimate play and the game was decided and all of these things happened um, entirely out of Tom Brady's control. And it was interesting watching him sort of sit impotently on the sideline as Seattle drove for what was going to be the game-winning touchdown and then not succeed in the game-winning touchdown and think about the idea of the greatest quarterback of all time and how fundamentally arbitrary that is. Well, sure, I remember the season where they were undefeated and lost to the Giants. On what was a spectacularly weird circus catch. Interestingly enough, there was also a spectacularly weird circus catch by a Seattle wide receiver at almost the exact same point on the field in the drive that was supposed to lead to the Marshawn Lynch touchdown but didn't. And I'm sure every single Patriots fan was having terrifying flashbacks to that moment. (laughs) But that's the thing, right? Totally um, strange catches that have nothing to do with Tom Brady one way or the other end up swinging his legacy about whether or not he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Peyton Manning has only won one Super Bowl. And as a result, he is not going to go down as one of the greatest of all time, I think. I think he's going to end up being sort of in the Dan Marino category of a fantastic player who couldn't get it done when it counted. But the thing about football is you're only on the field for half the time. And even in half the time, you know... As the quarterback, you sure you have the ball in your hands every single time, but football is such a well-choreographed and tightly knit game that the legacy of any player is so dependent on everyone around them, and the idea of the greatest quarterback of all time being something that can exist in a vacuum seems arbitrary to me. I think that in football, in such a team game, that's very clear, but I wonder what you think about that notion when we bring it over to our collective sport here, we think to start thinking about baseball. But look at look at the confusion and and um, kind of shock that a lot of baseball fans felt when it was revealed that Madison Bumgarner didn't finish um, in the top of the voting for the National League Cy Young Award. That was because most people don't know that the voting on those awards takes place before the postseason. <laughs> right. However, I think anybody on even a cursory look at the statistics, there's no way that Madison Bumgarner was a better pitcher during the regular season in 2014 than Clayton Kershaw was. Nope. Clayton Kershaw was historically excellent. Yep. As we mentioned on this show, Clayton Kershaw himself was worth more wins above replacement than the entire Texas Rangers pitching staff. <laughs> However, because Madison Bumgarner excelled so fantastically in the postseason when it counted the most... We wanted to to make the story of the best pitching in the National League in 2014 about him simply because when the lights were on him shining the most brightly, he was able to step up. It's really interesting, too, when you think about Brady, pretty good in the regular season, pretty good in the playoffs. Uh, He has been consistent in both of those spaces. He now has tied, you know, I think he has the most playoff touchdown passes of anybody. Um, But... An interesting comparison to Madison Bumgarner is actually Baltimore's own Joe Flacco. In the regular season, always looks confused. 
He always looks uncertain. He's not a good quarterback. And then he gets into the playoffs and, like, something changes and he's able to hit the 65-yard bomb. The step up for the playoffs thing is something that we have seen in and out define players' legacies in a way that I don't know is fair. Yeah, I I don't I don't think it's fair either. A, another example that comes to mind for me is Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit is somebody who legitimately threw I don't have to look at the exact numbers, but he legitimately threw over 200 innings of postseason baseball yeah. over the course of his career. He played an entire extra season of just October the, games just in the postseason yeah. and and was very good under those circumstances and that makes a lot of people forget that his actual statistics outside of some inflated win totals with the Yankees were fairly pedestrian but I think if you asked a lot of people uh whether Andy Pettit or Mike Messina was the better pitcher of the mid to late 90s and early 2000s most people would say Pettit before they would say Messina and that includes the years where Messina pitched for the Yankees but at the same time, you're a performer, right? You're someone who gets out and feeds off the energy of the crowd. So when you you know when you get out in front of a crowd that's 20 people and 15 of them are drunk and not really paying attention and you're trying <laughs> to like get them going, you're not at your best. But when the audience is a full house and everyone's plugged in and there's great energy and everyone is focused on you – that's when you want to rise to the occasion, right? That's when it matters the most. Yes. So shouldn't we give people credit for effectively bringing their A game when their A game was the most merited? Well, uh, that's a really interesting question because what that makes me think is that we should actually give more credit to the people who are able to excel when nobody's paying attention, when it seems like nobody cares, when they're in a small media market, and when the team is losing every night out. In my case, it's with stand-up comedy and storytelling when you get up in front of an audience and the house is full, everyone has a lot of energy, um, they're focused on you, you have a sense that people want you to succeed. Everybody's, Every joke gets a laugh. Everybody's expecting to have a good time. You feel yourself being able to step up and deliver that. It it affirms the best story of yourself that you tell yourself ever in your life because you've only gotten on that stage in the first place because there's some part of you that thinks i could get on a stage in front of people and make them laugh and so when there's a lot of people in a room and you're able to step up and do that it makes you feel like not only can you do it you can do it extremely well however uh there's also a part of you that tells yourself a terrible story which is you're crazy for thinking that you can do this you are never going to be able to excel uh and succeed at the heights that you want to and when there's a small crowd they don't feel like they have permission to laugh because there's no one else in the room so they're not sure if they're having the right response the ability to in those circumstances still reach out and make a connection with the say only three other people that are in the room and have those three people dying of laughter to go with the comedian example the comedian who can do that mm. to me is way more impressive than the comedian who, yes, if they're at the Beacon Theater and there's 700 people there they and they get the ball rolling enough that people are laughing, they're successful, but they're completely freaked out and paralyzed by the idea of a small audience with confusing expectations. That's interesting because I, you know, for, for me, 
as a non-performer, I would assume that every person in the audience multiplies my personal stress by a factor of 10. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like... Oh, for me, it's it the goes, opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that in some ways, that personality type is maybe what differentiates sports stars from very good athletes who are not sports stars. Well, so I have so many questions about that, including do you feel that way about the podcast? You know what I mean? Because like I I definitely, because I end up doing the uploading to the RSS feed of our episodes and I'm looking at the numbers and the downloads every week, I have much more of a week-to-week awareness of how many people are actually listening to this nonsense that you and I sit here and do every week. I, I assume that, the, that that number is zero. Right. And I actually assume right now that I'm only talking to you. Uh, sorry, Baltimoreans, this may have just gotten awkward, but I don't think you're there. Um, <laughs> and I actually can't think you're there because if I do think you're there, then it starts to become an alarming thing. And I start to think about, like, the the potential pressure of reaching the the literally millions of ears that I assume that Baltimoreans actually does get to. Um, <laughs> no, I, I can I, I can I, confirm for you that it's not millions. <laughs> I do I do think that that's an interesting thing, and I do think that the only reason I can do a podcast is because it's at this moment in time as we are recording, just you, me, and the studio audience of forty that are in <laughs> Hootenanny Studios right now. That makes it so sad that we're the only ones who ever laugh at our jokes. <laughs> this entire conversation for me, Smith, um, brought up brought up a comparison that I've been wanting to make for a long time, and I'd be interested to know what you think of it. Uh, I'd like to tell you a story, mm-hmm. a story of two baseball players, two middle infielders, okay, two middle infielders whose careers. Uh, lasted exactly 20 seasons. Okay. Two middle infielders who, for whom those 20 seasons were roughly the same in American history, spanning from uh, the late 80s until the late 2000s. Both of these guys uh, played in what you'd think would be a major sports market. One of them played in the most populous city in the U.S. The other one played in the fourth most populous. And both of them were considered solid, if unspectacular, defenders. One of them is considered one of the biggest legends of all time Mm -hmm. and a first ballot Hall of Famer. One of them just got into the Hall of Fame after having had to wait three years. Okay. I speak to you, of course, of Derek Jeter and Craig Biggio. Mm. Now, I'd like to just give you some numbers to compare. Derek Jeter, his career triple slash is 310, 377, 440. Okay. Craig Biggio's, 281, 363, 433. Derek Jeter, 3,465 hits. Craig Biggio, 3,060 hits. Derek Jeter, 260 home runs. Craig Biggio, 291 home runs. Derek Jeter, 358 stolen bases. Craig Biggio, 414 stolen bases. Derek Jeter, 71.8 career wins above replacement, as measured by BaseballReference.com. Craig Biggio, 61.5 career wins above replacement. There's not a whole lot of daylight between those statistics. Now, I think anybody, as we cited with the Mike Mussina, Andy Pettit example, would tell you that Derek Jeter was unquestionably the better player. But consider the following things about Craig Biggio, which Derek Jeter cannot claim. Did you know that in addition to being a second baseman for years and years and years for 
the Astros, Craig Biggio caught 428 career games behind the plate and played several hundred more in the outfield. How many games did he catch? 428. Holy cow. Or I should say he appeared in 428 games as a catcher. There could have been some in there where he, he just moved to catcher. in the seventh inning, right. I can't imagine that happened too frequently. <laughs> <laughs> so my point, I guess, is that on the numbers, it's pretty hard to make a case for Derek Jeter being as much of a better baseball player than Craig Biggio than he's perceived to be. I mean... Will I roll my eyes up into my head so you think I'm having a seizure every time I have to hear someone on Yankees calling him the captain? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, I think it's overblown. But I do think that you don't get that story unless there's something there. And I do think that Jeter had a leader of men quality that people found very magnetic. It helped to have all of the brightest lights on him. It helped to have the media market that he was in. But I, I think that he was exceptional in terms of charisma, and I think that he was exceptional in terms of being a leader. And I think that we don't want to think about that, and it certainly does not appear in advanced metrics and advanced statistics. If I bring any expertise to the watching of sports, it is the watching of body language. And I consider myself something of a body language expert. And when you watch anybody in the last 10 years interact with Derek Jeter on the baseball field, they'd come up to him, they'd talk to him, and their back would straighten, and they would go back to their position a little bit more hepped up to play. And I I don't think that that's anything you can quantify, but I think that that is a difference. Yeah. And I think that that gave him superstar status. And, I, and from what I know of Biggio, I think one of the things that really brought him down in the eyes of the world, is that he was a chameleon. And he was low affect. He didn't go talk to the press. He wasn't necessarily grabbing people by the face mask and making them pay attention to him. And like you said, he was an outfielder when they needed to be an outfielder. He was a catcher when they needed to be the catcher. You would never, ever, ever, ever have had Craig Biggio being like, no, the leadoff position is mine, and I'm going to stick to this even though I'm not the best leadoff hitter anymore because that wasn't how he played the game. I, I think that he was probably a more valuable baseball player to sort of like be on the diamond a lot of the time than Derek Jeter was, but he wasn't a star in the same way. Yeah, there were there were other factors in play, obviously. But I think it basically comes back to this this same thing that you were talking about before, which is, especially as a shortstop, way more so than as a quarterback, there are a whole host of things that are going to happen in a baseball game that you have no control over. Yep. There are a whole host of plays that are going to go on where you're not even going to touch the ball. There are tons and tons of offensive and defensive interactions that you're not going to play any role in. And yet, Derek Jeter is perceived as instrumental in the success of those Yankee teams in the way that Brady is with the Patriots. Um, and, and when you stop and think too much about legacy, you start to start to realize that a lot of it is probably spoon-fed to us by the people who write the stories and the ways that these stories come to us, Um, which is especially interesting to think about Brady because he spent the entire two weeks before the Super Bowl answering questions about uh, underinflated balls (laughs) Um, and then went out and achieved anyway, Um, (laughs) which is is sort of an interesting uh, uh, coda to this whole conversation, right? Because... 
the media can always turn on you. And when they do, it doesn't matter how great you've been. If the media turns on you, then you and I, as people who don't get to experience these things directly firsthand, we are at the mercy of, of how, how these stories get back to us. And what happens in sports is that a brand or a narrative gets associated with something so quickly that we are unwilling to get even remotely granular about what we're actually watching. And this actually sets us up very well for the next segment that we're going to do, which is we're going to talk to a guy named Mike Petriello, who wrote a piece for Fangraphs about how if you actually drill down into the numbers, there's a pretty decent chance that Travis Snyder is going to be a better outfielder in 2015 than Nick Marcakis. But that narrative makes no sense to anybody who has been an Orioles fan for the last uh, eight years. Well, let's go do that now, then, shall we? Okie dokie. Stay with us, folks. We're going to get on the line with Mike Petriello. You're listening to Baltimoreans. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. And this over here is Alan Smith. Now, folks, for a show like ours that has such a feeble understanding of numbers that we often need a 10-minute introduction to even remember what episode we're on, it's probably a little surprising that we'd be compelled by the work of our guest on the show tonight. But in deeply confusing times like the ones in which we currently live, sometimes there's a kind of cold comfort in advanced statistics. And this week... Sam and I were very excited to read a piece by Mike Petriello, examining the Orioles' acquisition of Travis Snyder. Mike joins us tonight to talk about that as well as some broader themes in one of the strangest off-seasons in recent memory. Mike, welcome to Baltimoreans. Hey guys, how are you doing? So Mike, uh, you you just wrote this this great article about Travis Snyder on Fangraphs, and it seems like every off-season, Orioles fans are convinced that Dan Duquette has no plan whatsoever and is just rooting around amongst the dregs of the talent pool in hopes of getting lucky on some long shot has been. But he's got a pretty good track record at this point, and your article suggests that Travis Snyder might be another example of what's actually pretty smart bargain shopping. Among other things, you show a steamer projection which indicates that Snyder might even end up being more valuable in 2015 than Nick Marcakis. Could you summarize for us your argument about why there's a decent chance Travis Snyder might be a solid contributor? Uh, that projection might be less about Snyder than it is about Marcakis. <laughs> <Fair I don't laughs> think. You know, nobody outside, even before Marcakis left, and I know you asked about Snyder, and I'll get back to him in a second, but, you know, even during the season, I, whenever I would mention Marcakis and how I felt about him, there's probably not a player in baseball where there was a more, you know, divergent response from fans like, no, he's great. We love him. We love him. And I'm like, yeah, he's okay. He's fine. Uh, but <laughs> Orioles fans absolutely love the guy. And I get it. He was a good player for a long time, but uh, it's, it's, unbelievable to me that a lot of fans you know kind of thought he was a superstar and as for Snyder you know I know everybody wants him to be the next Steve Pierce because he came from Pittsburgh and so did Steve Pierce it's impossible <laughs> to assume that any player is going to have the kind of breakout that Steve Pierce did I, I wrote about him a couple months ago and I don't remember exactly how I put it but I, I think it was no player in history had gone from as little of a career as he had to a four-win season yeah we're we're hoping steve pierce continues to be two-thirds of steve pierce <laughs> exactly because if you're assuming he's going to be every bit of steve pierce you're probably going to be disappointed but he could still be a valuable player you know and as far as snyder he's you know it's you kind of want to put the word bust on it because he was a top 15 pick 14 pick whatever he was and he's never really amounted to much until the second half of last year 
you know, you can't just go by like a second half breakout. There's tons of guys who've had great final two months and then didn't do anything the next year. But you know, there's a reason to like him. He, he's uh, the stat I loved the most is the batted ball distance. He was like top six or seven or whatever it was, and just the distance of fly balls last year it takes a lot of power um, to do that. That's that's good in uh, Orioles Park too. It's perfect for a guy like that to come to Orioles Park, and <laughs> that kind of reflects poorly on Marcakis, doesn't it? Having a lefty in Orioles Park who wasn't really hitting for any power. <laughs> Well, and I love that you uh, you indicate in your article uh, that the guys the guys in whose company uh, he finds himself are Paul Goldschmidt, George Springer, Giancarlo Stanton, and Jose Abreu and Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, those those are some impressive names. I like right? those names. I like those names. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, those guys are really good at other things too. That, that Snyder's not. So, <laughs> I've I've heard he makes a good omelet. I don't know. <laughs> It, I wouldn't count it out. But, you know, the, the thing about Snyder is he came up at 20, right? Nobody yeah. should come up at 20 unless you're, you know, Bryce Harper, Trout, Marquez. Nobody else should be a hitter in the big leagues at 20. He spent a bunch of years going up and down. He never really had, like, a full season worth of playing time. He got hurt. I think he's the kind of guy who, you know, it's taken him six or seven years, and only now maybe is he catching up for all that missed time. I think that's that's kind of another reason to have a little bit of hope for him. Sure. And, and I also want to speak for all Orioles fans uh, and say thank you that you just included Nick Markakis with Bryce Harper and Mike Trout in the same breath. <laughs> did Markakis come up at 20? He did, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I stand corrected. <laughs> so, okay, at this point, we're, we're pretty well accustomed to seeing projections like the one you cite in your piece that suggest that the guy you'd expect to have the better season might not actually be as good as Travis Snyder. We do carry into all of these expectations our, our own love of each play, of the players. Um, I have to say, even having somewhat bought into the advanced metrics game, um, I can't get past my gut response that Marcakis is a valuable guy to have on any kind of team. Do you think that we as baseball fans will ever get to a point where we feel comfortable relying on numbers? Or are we just sort of doomed to have that emotional blinder thing for the rest of our existence? Well, I mean, I, I think that part of the fun of being a fan is having that emotional blind. <laughs> true. <laughs> That's true. True. I mean, I, I don't – certainly I want people to be smarter about things that matter. I, I would love it if we would never talk about wins, pitcher wins, or RBIs ever again, ever. But I, I, <laughs> That's fair. I, 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 but I also don't really want a future where – you know, the only stats you see on a baseball telecast are weighted runs created plus and, and all this other stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, they're, the people like, you know, the group that I consider myself a part of, I understand it's a minority of baseball fans. You know, you can't count out the casual fans, the ones who go and buy the tickets and spend the money. And like if you you can try to educate them, but if you alienate them, then you've really done the game a disservice. Absolutely. Well, can I ask you from your own sort of in terms of your own personal journey, what what was it that sort of created an awakening for you about the value of advanced metrics? I mean, do you, do you have a point in your mind where you kind of converted from being a more traditional fan to a more advanced fan, for lack of a better word? Yeah, I don't think I ever really cared about pitcher wins, but I'm pretty sure if you go back to like the first <laughs> stuff I wrote in, I don't know, 2007 or whatever, I probably used fielding percentage, which I would never ever touch. Them. Ooh, embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it's super embarrassing. I, so there's not like a specific point, but you know, as you, the years went on, you read baseball perspectives, you read fan graphs, you read smart people, it just sort of piles up. I really, I think a lot of it is the math behind the stuff may be complicated, but the ideas are really common sense. You know, sure. like, the idea that a pitcher doesn't win a game by himself that shouldn't be too controversial. You know, the idea that you can drive runners in only if there are runners on base, that your teammates did the work, that shouldn't be too hard to understand for people. Right. 
Right. You know, it, it's interesting. We had, um, I don't know if you've ever uh, run across a guy named Michael Clare who used to write Old Time Family Baseball and yeah, yeah, Claire, Claire Bear Attack, right? Yeah, that's, that's the guy. <laughs> he one of the things, uh, one of the arguments he made on our show for for the value of advanced stats is that it it's more helpful to think of them as story stats because they complete the story in a way that we didn't used to be able to. They they sort of fill in plot holes that we didn't uh, used to be able to understand. And I've I've often thought since he said that that if we could find a way of getting more people to think about it that way, there uh, they might be a little bit more broadly accepted. Yeah, I, and I think there's a way to do that. I mean, you can, you know, if I think about, I don't know, my grandpa who's 91 years old, he's not the world's biggest baseball fan, but, he, you know, he, he watches the games, He's he knows what batting average is, and if I tried to explain it in weighted runs created, he'd never listen to me. But if I, <laughs> if I said to him, you know, listen, batting average, it ignores walks, it ignores extra base hits, and those things are important, right? And he'd say, yeah, and I think, like, just, you know, doing that, you could make that connection. Yeah. Yeah. I aspire to still know batting averages at 91. I think I will have succeeded <laughs> in some like deeply, deeply spiritual way in life. <laughs> so moving back towards uh, uh, this this particular offseason, um, in in our opinion, it, it's really been one of the stranger offseasons in recent memory. Um, in particular, there's a lot of teams whose rosters have almost, it seems like, completely turned over. They bear almost no resemblance to the teams that they were fielding at the end of last season. And in the American League East, uh, I would say the Rays and the Red Sox are, are the best examples of that. And in the National League, the Cubs and the Padres have been so busy, it's a little bit hard to keep up. And the Yankees have just totally like switched franchise models because now <laughs> They're acting like the Royals. <laughs> so we're wondering if you had to pick a team as you look at this offseason that you would say is the most improved, who would you go with? The most improved? I mean, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cubs, you, I know you named them, but they were pretty lousy last year. And this year, it's not out of the question. I think they might be a playoff contender. I mean, that's probably my number one pick right there. Okay, okay. Do you believe in the Padre revolution? I believe they'll be more entertaining than last year. <laughs> that is I, a I very low bar. <laughs> last year, they were one of the, mo- the, just the most boring teams I think I've ever watched. They really were. I couldn't make it through a Padres game. It was amazing. They, and they couldn't hit. Like Their offense is almost historically bad. So they'll be more interesting, certainly. They'll, they'll be better. I mean, they have to be better with the moves they've made. Uh, good enough. I mean, they're not better than the Dodgers. You know, the Giants haven't had much of an offseason, but I think we know enough not to count them out either. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know. Don't bet against the Sabian. Right. So, I mean, they'll be better. They might be in the wild card mix, but I think as it stands now, they still need a little more. Sure. So so when you look at uh, the American League East, um, you know, to, to come back to this this idea that, uh, you know, as you as you say in your piece, and I think every Orioles fan really resonates with this, there's a little bit of a perception on our part that because of the whole drama around whether or not Dan Duquette was going to leave for Toronto and uh, all of that stuff, um, I think a lot of us feel like, well, because of that, he was too distracted to do anything meaningful, and that means that we're not going to be able to contend this year. Um, do you think that the there's any reason to believe that the other teams actually did uh, lap the Orioles while they were supposedly <laughs> distracted the by their <laughs> internal deliberations? Or do you think we still stack up pretty well compared to the other folks in the in the division? You know, I, I think that the Orioles got a little bit of a raw deal, and I, I'm guilty of this myself in reviewing the offseason because – you know, J.J. Hardy, that signing ended up being a really nice signing considering what shortstop turned in there for everybody. And it happened what, a couple weeks before the season end. Yep. We shouldn't pre- we shouldn't pretend that wasn't part of this offseason, right? Like whether he signed that or six weeks later, that's still a deal that should be considered. And it's very often not. 
So, I mean, I think that counts. I don't think you can count the Orioles out. I wouldn't say they've improved. But, you know, again, it really depends on what do you think Marquecas is. You know, do you think that Nelson Cruz is ever going to repeat last season? No. no. I'm still, I'm still <laughs> right, exactly. I'm still not certain about that pitching staff. You know, I still don't think Pierce is going to repeat. I mean, I would think that Chris Davis will be better. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully you'll have a full season or most of it of Matt Wieters. So I, it's and still hopefully a, good a full team. season of Machado knocking right, on all exactly. the wood. Now, I really do think the Red Sox got a lot better. I think that team yeah. is so, so deep. It's just unbelievable. And I, I mean, they're easily my pick to you know win the East. I would say you know, really any of the five. I'm a little bit down on the Rays just because I don't really trust that offense. But any of the other four teams, I could see winning this division. So uh, the the Dodgers are your team. Um, when you when you look at the Dodgers, uh, that's obviously been a, a pretty crazy story this offseason, too. How are you feeling just from a sort of, uh, you know, gut emotional standpoint as you as you look at the Dodgers in 2015? The way I'm feeling, I think, is very different than the way your, you know, air quotes here, casual, regular Dodger fan is feeling. Because I am just over the moon. I could not be more thrilled with pretty much everything that they've done. Huh. Uh, I don't think the regular Dodger fan actually feels that way. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very happy with it. Yeah. What, what What specifically do you think you differ from the, uh, the Joe Blow Dodgers fan? You're glad to see Kemp gone? <laughs> I would say I'm glad to see Kemp gone. But I would say I, I understand the deal. Right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you look at... The return, it, it doesn't seem like much on the surface. A lot of fans are like, oh, they got you know the catcher who hit 225 and had a PED suspension. And I'm like, well, I mean, they got the catcher who had you know, a 111 weighted runs created plus, and A.J. Ellis was horrible last year. <laughs> right. You know? I was like, you can't, you can't just look at the last two months of Kemp being awesome, and he was awesome, and assume that that's what he's going to be for the next five years, considering his last two years. Like, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. And, so, I mean, I'm, I am i wouldn't say I love the deal, but I certainly understood it because it, it opened up a lot of flexibility. And, you know, you got Whalen back as well, and you got half of Jimmy Rollins back as well. It was a, it was a deal that made sense. And do you think uh, 2015 is the, the year of Jock Peterson? I, I think it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, no way around it. <laughs> yeah, I, I am concerned about his uh, tendencies to swing and miss. I don't really care that you know he didn't do much in September. There's a surprising amount of Dodger fans who are all, oh, he's not going to be anything good because he looked crappy in 12 pinch hitting appearances, which is insane to me. But you know he's he's going to strike out a lot. The hope is that he can play enough center field defense, hit for you know above average power, and he'll be an above average player. As long as he doesn't strike out as uh, who's the who's the kid in Chicago, Javi Baez. Yeah. Oh my God. Who swings so <laughs> falls down. <laughs> he's my favorite player in baseball to watch because it, you are going to get something, and yep. he's either. He's either going to hit a ball to you know Russia, or he's going to just swing through the the pitch and right fall down. There literally, was, literally torque himself into the ground. <laughs> right. There was a the the moment that I think last year, uh, pretty much everyone in Orioles Nation decided it was all over. Was uh, we got swept in? I guess I think it was a three game series uh, against the Cubs. And in that, there was one game in the series where Javi Baez hit a ball off of one of the Wrigley rooftops. And then struck out three times so hard he almost like the wind from the swing almost blew them over. <laughs> yeah, we should just call that the bias. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, three, three, three Ks and a deep home run. I yeah. like it. <laughs> Two true outcomes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Mike, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, make sure to check out uh, the latest uh, the latest edition of it's ESPN the magazine, right? Where you have your piece. 
Yes, it is. Page 29. Page 29 of ESPN, the magazine, where Mike is writing about game clocks and the ins and outs of that debate. And make sure you follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello. And make sure to read his really great piece, if you haven't already, on the Orioles' Travis Snyder acquisition at Fangraphs. We will link that on our site. Mike, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, have a great time out there in central Connecticut. We'll do this in person (laughs) next time. All right. Take care. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. What other what other stuff you got open? Uh, Gmail. What else? <laughs> oh, uh, sexrobot.porn.dick. <laughs> and we have our opening splash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course you do. Did you forget? Did you forget that that's how this works? <laughs> no, of course not. I was actually, you know, I was actually halfway considering answering and going like hey how's it going it is big ben Mastin here in the tower of baseball it is spring trading o'clock Ding <laughs> dong. well don't worry we did not have that on tape as well that, <laughs> yeah. that is now how you're going to answer the phone <laughs> once, yeah, when we can, edit this you can pick whichever of those you like for for, for baltimoreans who have not heard ben Mastin on this show before First of all, what, what you, you don't get to call yourself Baltimoreans because clearly you haven't been listening. Second of all, he is our uh, expatriate Yankees friend uh, who is currently stationed as a remote scout in Texas. Um, and Ben Ben comes on regularly to tell us how he feels about the Yankees and we um, we, we malign his good character. It's, it's yeah. good fun. So, Ben, um, what, what would you say the one unreasonable act thus far in Yankees offseason has been? I... I cannot tell you why we continue to have Stephen Drew. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone knows that, actually. But that's not like I, a big ticket. No, decision. but it's still real weird. It is. It is a little bit odd. Well, he is I, being it, paid any money to play baseball next year, despite posting, I think, one of the lowest triple slash lines on record. I believe. Uh, I I believe that he is being paid five million of your American dollars. Actually, wow. Okay, that's a little bit absurd. Yeah. So, and it's particularly weird because when we dealt Martin Prado to get to the Marlins to get Nathan Ivaldi, which is a move I like, by the way, which is a move that I also like. Uh, we the the conventional wisdom was that one of these two young kids we have would sort of come up and get a shot at second base. Uh, however. Those young kids are now being replaced for reasons best known to Brian Cashman with Stephen Drew. <laughs> so. By the way, the the oh so lovely totals for Stephen Drew. Now these are his combined statistics with the Yankees and the Red Sox last year. By the way, this tells you how bad he was yeah. that the Yankees and Red Sox were willing to break their age old covenant of making <laughs> trades with each other or employing right, yeah. the same I mean, player I mean, the in the Red same Sox year. Were like, sure, have a great time with him. <laughs> The, the the cumulative slash line, a batting average of 162, an on-base percentage of 237, and a slugging percentage of 299. Wow. Right. And his fielding percentage was pretty atrocious, which, of course, we decided to help by playing him out of position, <laughs> well, which we will continue to do. That That is, to me, the, the, the truly spectacular thing about all of this, is that not only... 
Uh, is he being paid $5 million coming off of a season of historically terrible offensive production? But he's being paid $5 million in hopes that he will rebound from that and also learn how to play second base. Yes, and the only reason we tried him at all is that your old buddy Brian Roberts was so atrocious, we thought, well, let's try Steven Drew out of position, and maybe he'll get, I don't know, a visitation from God and be better, and he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, didn't, but, didn't totally pan out, no. No, it did not at all. I, now, see, I always thought that there was this sort of age-old acceptance around baseball that you could get somebody who would hit about the Mendoza line but could flash a mean glove. For... And, and apparently you can also get somebody who can do neither of those things. <laughs> well, I can do neither of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Put me in, coach. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, Nick Punto lasted for a good long time uh, doing doing that sort of thing. And and there are other people who fit that profile. I think Ryan Flaherty is, is hmm. cruising for a Punto-esque career. Yeah. Right. But you just pronounced... Punto two different ways in the space of five seconds. What did I say? Punto and Punto? Yeah. I I can't des- I couldn't decide how to pronounce it, so I decided to Punto. Punto? Yeah, I was going to say Punto is how you get rid of him. <laughs> you can never get rid of him. <laughs> is A-Rod really going to play three more years of baseball? Is he that crazy? I mean, yes, he is that crazy. I still hope it doesn't happen. But he's... he's if you ever have to ask yourself, is A-Rod that crazy? It doesn't matter what we're actually talking about. <laughs> the answer is yes. True. <laughs> so, so actually, so that, that brings me to a segue to, to a little segment I had planned if you guys want to do this real quick. Oh, go for it. Tell us. Okay, so uh, among the many things that was actually kind of nice about last year is that A-Rod, for once in his horrible life, shut his mouth and basically <laughs> vanished. And uh, that is no longer the case. Because he's back. I, because he's back, and I'm sure you and many other people noticed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, even the cops are coming after him. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you can hear that? <laughs> yeah, really clearly. Wow. Um, a couple of weeks ago, perhaps you saw that A Rod, for some reason, decided to publicize that he was going for quote unquote hitting advice which he intended to get from Barry Bonds. Did see that. <laughs> Did see that. There were pictures of the two of them on the field together working out. I don't know where. Uh, I guess I guess San Francisco. I don't remember where it actually happened. But <laughs> there, there, There's one island floating in the Pacific where Barry Bonds is still allowed to swing a baseball bat. <laughs> right, exactly. So, I mean, it's like the kind of tone deafness we're talking about. Well, didn't he also proclaim himself the opening day third baseman and say that yeah. like Headley is going to have to challenge him for the job. Yeah. To which the Yankees basically said, yeah, well, that's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll so believe I wanna... it when we see you bend at the waist. Right. So, but even, so even for Arad, this struck me as particularly ridiculous. You would think that someone in his entourage or his management team or something would be like, Hey, Arad, Maybe you shouldn't hang out in public with Barry Bonds. Well, but didn't didn't that ship sail a while ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, clearly. But so solidly I wanna, but, in the Tyson zone, right? So, but I want to I want to just do a quick little role playing session. Okay. okay. All right. With uh, Sam, I would like you. I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna have a hypothetical conversation where I'm Alex Rodriguez, and you are uh, Weedley Smedlap. His. Uh, <laughs> His uh, public relations flack from the firm of <laughs> Jester Smedlap and Splat. <laughs> Hold okay. on, wait. I need to write this down. Jester Smedlap and Smap. 
Splat. With, oh, SMAP is fine, too. <laughs> Best as long as there's two of the last consonant, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and you are, we're going to have a conversation, and you, as Weedly Smedlap, are only allowed to respond to me in one of three ways. Ah, okay. I'll, it'll be easy to remember my lines. <laughs> okay. All of them incredibly and earnestly enthusiastic. All right? The first one, the first one is, right away, Alex. <laughs> okay. Okay. The second one is, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> and the third one is, I don't see why not. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. and Let's you do have this. To, those are the only things you're allowed to say. You, you can pick whatever one is most apropos. Okay, so right away, Alex, fantastic, and I don't see why not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, hey, Weedley, could you come meet me under the centaur? Fantastic. Great. Yeah, thanks. Come over here. Uh, don't be don't be shy. It's, it's cool. I, I, I'm not going to bite today because I'm, I'm on the estrogen to, to regulate my uh, flow back into normal human territory. Fantastic. <laughs> Okay, listen, Weedley. I've been uh, I've been out of uh, baseball for a year because of the suspension and everything, and uh, I, I think I need to sort of get back in shape. I don't see why not. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, what I'm thinking is, I I'm, I really need to do something visible, right? I really need to sort of get get a rod back out there. Fantastic. I agree, and uh, that's you're a good man, Weedley. That's why I hired you. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go and 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 visibly sort of, you know, press the flesh with some sort of great sluggers of of re- the recent past. Fantastic! I don't see oh. why not. Yeah. Oh, ooh, oh, Weedley, you're talkative today. Okay. Uh, so uh, here's here's the first thing I'm thinking. Edgar Martinez would be a guy to talk to. He seems like people like him. Okay, he's a buddy from Seattle. You know, I don't see why not. Yeah. Okay. And uh, here's the thing. I would like to talk to the only human being whose name is more synonymous with steroid abuse, fraud, and cheating than mine, and that is Barry Bonds. Fantastic. No, enthusiastic Weedley. <laughs> Fantastic. That's right. And I think uh, I would really like to set it up. I'd like to invite the press with cameras to see me do this. Right right away, Alex. Weedley, I'm beginning to sense that you're not totally on board here. <laughs> Weedley. Right, right. Ah, ah, ah. I don't see why not. That's right. Okay. All right. Good. Good. So here's the thing. Again, I want you to notify sports journalists and tell them that Alex Rodriguez is hanging out with Barry Bonds on purpose. Fantastic. <laughs> right away, Alex. Okay, good. All right, get out of here. Fantastic. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> Weedley I... sprints down tarmac, boards helicopter, <laughs> lives in yurt for rest of life, <laughs> hopes A-Rod never finds him. <laughs> Nothing can hide you from me, Weedley. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben Maston. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us as always. Uh, thank you for casting me in the finest role that I have ever gotten to play. What was his name? Smelly Jellyflap? What was his name? Weedley, Weedley Smedlap. Weedley Smedlap. <laughs> he will most likely surface doing public relations for a GOP candidate in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Well, there it is, folks. Episode number 117 in the Baltimoreans hit parade, fading into your rearview mirrors. Thank you uh, to Ride Along's Ben Mastin and Mike Petriello. Don't forget um, to check out page 29 of ESPN the magazine. Check out Mike's piece on game clocks, and don't forget to follow him on Twitter. Uh, ben probably also has a Twitter too, right? Ben does have a Twitter. It's at AO2Ben. I will leave it to you to discover the hilarity of how infrequently he uses it by going to <laughs> twitter.com forward slash AO2Ben. It's it, I, Ben, if you're still listening at this point, I want to clarify. It's not that it's... It's not that I think you should tweet more. It's just that Ben, when he tweets, is incredibly impassioned about very serious topics and then disappears for months at a time. <laughs> so you know it. it's really blurbled to the top when Ben gets on the Twitters. <laughs> That's true. If Ben's tweeting about it, you should be paying attention. Actually, that is true of almost no one on Twitter. So good work, Ben. <laughs> Ladies and um, gentlemen, uh, what else? Music. Music, Baltimoreans, is uh, a production of Sam Dingman and Alan Smith, and features. We have music. nothing to do with the music. <laughs> we have nothing to do with the music. Oh, we're 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 um, we're members of the of the Baltimore Sports Report Nation. Sure, uh, are. we should probably go over to Baltimore Sports Report and check out what they're doing. I'd imagine that with the Ravens and the the hockey's and the other things, there's probably lots going on over there. Do you see? Uh, there's a new show on the network. Really, it's called Between Two Birds. I wow! Check it out, folks. Check it out. We have another sister wife podcast. New biz bibbling on the daily over. The, well, we had to replace section three thirty six and <laughs> and Oriole Spastics, the dearly departed. It's uh, it's been a it's been a divorced sister wife Mormon craziness going on. It's all it's, we're we're very confused. <laughs> uh, so the music on the show, folks, is our theme song which is uh, written and performed by Marshall York. The Between song, Two Birds is a very good name for a podcast. It is. It is. Absolutely. Right. I, and it's it's a pretty good show, too. All right. It's not just not just a sexy title. You know we what I'm saying? Them on. We should have them on. We should. We should. Uh, I believe... Who, I, even know, I, even know, I even know the young fellers' names. Col- Cody Colston. Oh! And uh, Connor Guercio. All right. I'm probably well, saying Connor's last name very wrong and possibly offensively, <laughs> for which I apologize. <laughs> I'm trying to tell people about the music. Okay. And I'm failing. Uh, Connor and Cody, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> yes, please, please. Baltimore's podcast at gmail.com. com bingly do. Why did that, 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 that do? Okay. Uh, folks. Music on the show. We did have music on the show. Our theme song is uh, by Marshall York. Yes, yes. Give it to me. <laughs> Keep it coming. I don't know. And then we use the song "Working for Another Song" by mm-hmm. the the band Town Hall, which unfortunately is no longer releasing records. Um, <laughs> weather report. Weather report uh, contributes contributes. <laughs> wasn't I, they didn't contribute it at all. We stole it. We stole it with our filchy fingers. This may be a new record for the longest. <laughs> music credits ever uh yet songs called birdland still haven't told you who who recorded it that band is called oops phone's ringing just kidding uh weather report that's the name of the band right and what else do we use any other musical right now you're hearing a song yep it's called <laughs> kicking my heart <laughs> by the black crows did you forget <laughs> the 
the Black Crows, the third bird. We uh-huh. have a third bird. Uh-huh. Cody and Connor, please email us. We are <laughs> desperately seeking content for future broadcasts. Okay. Well, about time to get out of here. Uh, do you guys follow us on the Twitters? If you do, then thank you. If you don't, you should. It's at BMorons. And you should tweet us your uh, the, the, the baseball race that you would like to see um, or that you enjoy watching when you do actually go to a real live minor uh, uh, single-A affiliate ballpark. Yes. And uh, even if you go to the double-A's or the triple-A's. But it's really most entertaining at those low levels. It's true. Isn't it? Isn't it? Have you ever been to a uh, Coney Island Cyclones game? Oh, yeah. What a time. What a time. What a time. Sam. Yes. <laughs> yes, give it to me. What do you call Henry Urudia when he has um, eaten too much sugar and is forced into an emergency dental procedure. Oh, um, uh, Henry Root Canal Arudia. Root, root, I was going to go Henry Urudia Canal. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's what it feels like watching him. Is having one of those. I've forgotten what it's like to watch him. Is he still on the team? Remember when we went to spring training last year and he got hit in the head? Run. Yeah, but then remember he got hit in the head with a ball? That's no, no, true. he ran into the fence. That's right, and then fell down and was dazed. Yeah, and what happened last year? Not a whole lot. Hope you're feeling better, Henry. Bye, everyone. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.